It's Fangraphs Audio. I'm Carson Sestouli, and I'm joined now, as I am every week, by the curator of our excellent Q&A series, Mr. David Lorla. David, are you there? I am, Carson. Every Thursday we do this. It's fun. Um, I would suggest it's like clockwork if it was a clock that, um, instead of having 12 hours, uh, sort of went by seven days at a time. Yes, I don't. Uh, my math skills aren't good enough to tell you how many hours that is between each week. I can tell you that I'm watching um, Italy and Croatia in Euro 2012 as we speak. That is a clock that does not stop, which is a great thing about uh, soccer. 90 minutes straight through, no whistles. Uh, that's right. <clears throat> that's right. No, that's stop, no stoppages, I should say. They no stoppages, right. And then they have stoppage time. Uh, they have stoppage time at the very end. Yes, they do. They usually go three or four more minutes, and we, uh, you know, and it will be meaningful here. Italy and Croatia are 1-1 at 78 minutes, and your listeners um, already know the score of the game if they care, because uh, by the time they hear this podcast, this game will be well over. Well, um, listen, we've mentioned stoppage time. Uh, your guest, our guest together uh, on Fangraphs Audio today, is someone who's familiar with, I guess, what would roughly be the equivalent of stoppage time in baseball. Is that, a, is that an expert segue, do you think? Well, maybe, Carson, you're talking about um, the stretch run of the game. We're talking about uh, the nitty-gritty, the ninth inning, and maybe extra innings with uh, Brad Ledge, a longtime closer, who is no longer a closer. Yeah. Um now you and, and Brad Lidge is closing in on the end of his career, which we addressed at the beginning of the interview. That's true. You do you do that, and I do notice this is another sort of instance of you asking uh, what I might regard as the tough questions, but not unreasonably tough. And I'm curious as to as to how you felt uh, Lidge uh, dealt with these in the same way that I think um, you had spoken with another uh, uh, another player. You had asked him about sort of uh, I think it was Phil Coke about yep, um, yep. his failing. About failing. Right, his failed transition. Right, I'm wondering um, how you sort of felt uh, Lidge dealt with that. Well, I think Brad Lidge is a smart enough fellow to know that he's in his mid-30s and he's had a million injuries and and this is probably the end. So I'm certainly I'm certain he didn't mind that. Um, we segued very quickly into talking about how lucky Brad Lidge is right now because he is finishing his career with probably the most exciting young team in baseball. They, yes, uh, I would say uh, we could call them the upstart Washington Nationals, if we were so inclined. Um, no, they, they, they are, and Nationals fans, I, I don't think I can say enough how excited they must be. We've had a lot of Nationals con- content on Fangraphs lately. We'll have more next week. And these fans must be excited. Um, Expos fans probably are not so excited to, to see what's happening. Um, I will warn, maybe not warn, caution Nationals fans, maybe not to get overly excited about this team yet because I am not convinced that they're going to simply stay in first place and, and run away with things like like they appear to be doing. I think they're 15 games over. But I look at uh, the last great team in franchise history was the 94 Expos, which tragically had their season end with the work stoppage, with the strike. Uh, but I think that team was overachieving as well. They were about 30 games over 500, and Expos fans listening to this may disagree vehemently. But I think they were maybe due to 
not continue to that stretch had they played the the last month or two of the season. Wow, you yeah, I don't I don't have the third order wins. I don't have that sort of data at the ready, but I will uh, I trust you implicitly, David Lorla. Well, I don't know if you should trust me. It's just an opinion I've been forming recently thinking a lot about this current team and and that last Expos team because I mean, granted they were a very good team. Uh, but were they a great team? Were they markedly better than the potential of this Nationals team? They had Pedro Martinez, who is 22 years old, and maybe he's a great comp to Strasburg. You know, could Strasburg become as good over a five- or six-year stretch as Pedro? Well, it, it could happen, but beyond that, the 94 Expos probably didn't have the pitching staff that this team did. They had all heavens, Ken, Ken Hill, you know, good pitcher, not great pitcher, Jeff Cicero. And they had a couple of great hitters in Larry Walker and Moises Alou, but are Walker and Alou markedly better than, say, Bryce Harper is going to become? You know, maybe not. Maybe not. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm contradicting myself saying that this Nationals team isn't necessarily a great team yet. Right. Well, like Walt Whitman, you contain multitudes, David Laurel, so you're allowed... To contradict yourself. Uh, one question I do want to ask you before, it's actually not uh, related to what we're about to hear, but it is related to a, a national starting pitcher um, who was included in a recent edition of your of your Q&A, uh, and that's Gio Gonzalez. Um, I, you, you know that I've, I've praised you before and, and will likely continue to praise you for your ability to extract from baseball players, uh, well, I guess to ask them interesting questions and to extract uh, interesting answers from them. <clears throat> that said, Gio Gonzalez seemed to be a bit of a tough nut to crack. He seemed that even um, when, when you were sort of asking questions that I've seen other players respond to in your Q&As, Gonzalez was, was still a little bit distant. And I'm wondering if you got that sense and if, if you had any understanding as to why. My understanding, I had met Gio Gonzalez once very briefly before last week. Um, Gio Gonzalez is probably the most friendly, outgoing player on that team. Um, Ian Desmond as well. But Gio does not like to talk about Gio. I actually did ask him repeatedly questions about why he is better this year and what he is doing differently, and he was reticent to answer in a lot of detail. He he did a lot of uh, giving credit to his catchers, to his pitching coach in, in generality, so I think it's just his style. He likes to deflect attention away from himself. And he will get a lot of attention if he keeps pitching as well. So something uh, Gio will have to deal with. All right. Well, uh, certainly a pitcher who's gotten a lot of attention, uh, both of the positive and negative variety, is Brad Lidge. And that's uh, that's about uh, that's the player from whom we're about to, to hear. It is. And really quickly, Carson, before we go to that, listeners may want to look for a Tyler Clifford interview tomorrow who is what Brad Lidge used to be, which is a fantastic closer. Tyler Clippert is probably the most underrated relief pitcher in Major League Baseball, and he does go into a lot more depth as to his craft, a lot about his fantastic changeup than uh, than Gio did. So look forward to that on uh, Fangraphs on Friday morning. Okay, the suspense is in the air. Uh, the, uh, the audio interview with Brad Lidge has been conducted. And it appears now, courtesy David Lorla, on Fangraphs Audio. My guest is Brad Lidge. 
Uh, really pitcher for the Washington Nationals. Uh, Brad, I'm not going to try to push you out the door of your career, but you are in the stretch run here. You're in your mid-30s. Uh, you know, it's definitely true that uh, I'm, I'm toward the end of my career. Uh, I think I know that. And um, you know, I think the biggest thing for me the last couple of years has been the transition. Um, you know, this year, not so much a transition, but last year, dealing with the injuries, uh, you know, going out of the closer role, uh, kind of becoming more of a setup type guy that uh, maybe will dabble in those uh, uh, close games at the end of the game every once in a while. But, um, you know, I think uh, probably the biggest thing for me is that injuries have really kind of taken their toll. Um, I think at this point in my career, I've had, I've had nine surgeries from baseball, which uh, I don't know anyone that's had that many, um, to be honest. So uh, it's been a very you know, unfortunate experience in that sense, but an extremely fortunate experience in, in everything else and, and the blessings I've had in my career. So um, I've had a very full career, that's for sure. And, uh, um, you know, I don't know after this year what the future holds, but um, it's great to be on a great team this year. You have had a great career. You have played with some great players. You are now playing with some potentially phenomenal players. Peter Abraham, uh, Red Sox beat writer, wrote in the Globe after the Strasburg game the other night that Fenway fans really should appreciate what they saw getting to see Strasburg and Harper play at a young age. He likened it to seeing Bruce Springsteen in Harvard Square in 1974. I thought it was a great analogy. Yeah, that's true. I mean, a lot of times you don't really understand um, until they start putting up those numbers year after year just how good these guys are. Um, but it's it's very clear to us playing with them that uh, Strasburg and, and Harper as well are very special, uh, unique players that uh, come around sometimes once in a generation. And um, I think that having both of them on the same team with us is, is very fun, uh, you know, for, for us veteran players to be able to see these guys do these things at such a young age. Um, and obviously, at, at the same time, they're helping us tremendously. So, um, you know, we, we feel real confident with, with, uh, with the guys we have out there. And, and, you know, my hope is that people do recognize how good these guys are and, and realize, you know, what they're seeing when they're out there. Strasburg obviously has a great fastball, but I was chatting with a couple of writers during the game the other night, and we were saying that, you know what, this kid could could be topping out at 91, and with that curveball and that changeup, he would be a big league ace. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think that, you know, everyone is always fascinated by the radar gun, and rightly so with him, but um, when, you, when you have the changeup and curveball that he does, uh, those two pitches alone are going to give hitters a lot of trouble. Um, and then when you're able to rear back and throw 98, 99, 100 sometimes, um, it's pretty special. And, and uh, you know, fortunately for him, he's not just a, a guy that's come up throwing hard. He's, he's a guy that's learned to develop that change up and curveball. And watching him pitch this year, for me, I think, um, and even um, the year he uh, blew out his elbow, which was against uh, Philadelphia, you know, watching him pitch, uh, the, the pitch that gave our hitters the hardest time was his changeup. And uh, that was back in Philadelphia. And uh, so watching him now, watching those guys struggle against the changeup, it's pretty impressive. Tyler Clifford has a fantastic changeup. Does he have one of the best ones you've seen? He does. And I, I liken it a lot to uh, Ryan Madsen, um, who I've obviously got to play with uh, for a few years there in Philadelphia. Um, it's just uh, they're able to have pretty deceptive fastballs. Uh, Madsen, since he's very tall and has a good downward angle, uh, Clifford kind of has an unusual delivery on his fastball. And then they both have great command of the changeup. And I think it's not just um, the speed off of the fastball, but the fact that they're able to locate it inside or outside, uh, which is very tough to do with an off-speed pitch. So um, they have great change-ups. And, uh, shoot, Trevor Hoffman had a pretty good career with his. And, and uh, you know, Clippard this, this year right now is, is settling into a closer role a little bit, and it's fun for me to, to try and help him day-to-day uh, -day with, with what he's doing. Strasburg's curveball, I mentioned. Who has the best curveball that you have ever seen? 
Um, well, if I watch a video, I'd say probably Nolan Ryan. Um, I obviously never got to play with him. Um, you know, obviously you think of uh, Verlander's curveball. Uh, I think that's probably one of the one of the best I've ever seen. Um, but you know, when Strauss's curveballs on, he's making people look pretty silly. Uh, he's making right-handed hitters and even left-handed hitters buckle, and that's kind of a unusual thing. So. Um, you know, there's uh, there's some there's some really good curveballs out there. But I'd say probably Verlander and Strasburg's right now are, are as good as anybody's. Once again, I'm talking with Brad Lidge. Brad, you you've always had the great slider. Um, who are some of your favorite slider pitchers? Who's got a great slider? <laughs> well, and, you know, it's uh, it's interesting for me. I've I've watched a lot of guys, um, you know, throw different pitches, uh, and I always try and take something out of it. Um, you know, early in my career, you know. Uh, I watched Roger Clemens. He had obviously had a great split finger fastball, but he also had a really effective curveball and slider. And uh, I think people didn't really recognize how, how good those were um, when he was pitching. But you know, I think uh, I watched guys from the left side too. And, and what I see a lot of times is guys throwing a cutter now um, that has extreme effectiveness. And it's actually a pitch I wish I had um, would be a cutter. But um, in terms of the slider, I mean, everyone's just a little bit different. I think um, sometimes. People have a, you know, I look at a guy like uh, Kimbrell right now with closing with the Braves. Um, the slider he's throwing is uh, is pretty nasty. He's getting a lot of strikeouts. Or all this Chapman, you know, when, I, when I'm looking at closers right now, um, his is about as nasty as anybody I've seen. But I guess historically, Randy Johnson, you know, I, I got to watch him throw his a lot. And uh, I know he's on the left side, but um, you know, what he makes hitters look like when he's throwing his slider was, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty silly. Okay, two more questions for Brad Ledge. You mentioned, Brad, that you wish you had a cutter. Fans will hear that and they'll think, well, why doesn't he throw one? Or they'll think, well, we're talking about these guys who have the great slider, they have the great curveball. Players obviously talk to each other, they show each other grips. So is it basically a God-given thing where you're going to throw what you can throw? I think that's a lot of it. And I also think that we um, have success with certain things. And, uh, you know, for me, I feel like, hey, if I'm healthy... Um, and I'm throwing my slider well, uh, that's probably, you know, the pitch that I need to be throwing out there. Um, a cutter, you know, you can see the times where it would be very useful. Even when you're pitching, sometimes you're out there and you're thinking, man, if I had a cutter today, that would be, be a very helpful pitch. Um, it's not that I don't know how to throw it. I've actually thrown it in games a few times. Um, but for me, it's just not a pitch that I, f- I feel is as effective as, as somebody else's um, who, who's thrown theirs a lot. And, you know, it's, it's a repetition thing as well. It's a comfort thing. Um, there are some guys where I'll throw it to, and uh, just when I feel like they're really on my fastball and slider. So, you know, you got to get creative sometimes when you're pitching out there, and, and every once in a while I'll throw a pitch like that. Um, but if you're not throwing it enough times to where you really feel like you have a command of it, then it just becomes a – it's tricky to just get out there and just uh, come up with pitches on the fly. Okay, and my last question for Brad Lidge, which has nothing to do whatsoever with baseball, but we were just chatting a few minutes ago about books, and uh, you haven't read War and Peace yet, but you're but you're thinking of reading that. I think uh, listeners should know that. Yeah, I think uh, you know that's it, more of a challenge, I think, than anything. I, you know, I love uh, I love history. Uh, I love history about wars for sure, and uh, I think that um, you know that's obviously a book that's uh, it's got a reputation for it for being a very challenging book to finish. Uh, length and everything else. So um, I look forward to reading that at some point. Sure, pulling up a chair and just. Uh, I don't know how long it's going to take, but uh, it'd be pretty fun. You may have to wait until your, your career is over. I'm going to say that's probably one for after baseball, yeah. Brad Lidge, thanks a lot for your time. All right, thank you.